School is just around the corner, and I can't help but think about all the students who are getting ready to start a new school year unlike any other. I think especially of our students who have now graduated high school and are off to college for the very first time. That transition is never easy. And with a pandemic, our grads need all the prayer they can get. I know that the first several weeks of college have an enormous impact on the direction our students take in the next few years. I can remember my uh, first semester in college and have so many fond memories of the things we did. I went to Taylor University located in the cornfields of Northern Indiana. Taylor has one of the most tight-knit communities I've ever seen. The school is highly intentional about building lifelong community, integrating faith and learning, and developing leaders. Since there isn't much to do off of Taylor's campus, there's always something random going on, whether planned or unplanned. I can remember participating in many fun traditions in the first few weeks at Taylor, including the obligatory awk walk, as it was called, where the freshmen were paraded around the school with our sister floor, being asked by the upperclassmen to get to know each other in the most awkward ways imaginable. Creativity was a staple at Taylor. One of my own creative geniuses involved a rope, a window, and a lounge three stories high. A friend of mine and I had managed to find ourselves a rope and thought, why not try to rappel out of the lounge down to the ground three stories below? We asked our RA, our, our resident hall assistant, and as a responsible leader, he quickly said, don't be stupid. So we listened. But being the resourceful freshman that we were, we realized something deeply profound. He said we shouldn't rappel down, but said nothing about pulling someone up. Upon our discovery, we raced around our dorm hall looking for volunteers to help us in our quest. We recruited half a dozen college guys and prepared for the climb. What's most amazing is the universal stupidity of college guys. As we were getting ready to haul a fellow dorm mate up to the third floor, a random guy that none of us knew walked by and after figuring out what we were planning, excitedly offered to help. Check out the result. Are you ready? Yeah. Yeah, I'm ready. All right. Slow. Just walk your feet on the windows. Walk my feet on the windows? Just walk straight up. Three, two, one. Just walk, walk. Both hands on the rope. Fortunately, we all ended up okay. But my point is this, one stupid small idea can lead to a big stupid decision. There's power to the small things. We are in a series called The Power of Small. Pastor John two weeks ago talked about a small interruption where we talked about making sure that the mission God has given us remains our number one priority. Last week, Pastor Kevin talked about a small touch and how just as one small touch from Jesus healed a woman of severe bleeding, God might be asking us to reach out and touch those around us in need. If we want to make a big impact for Christ's kingdom, sometimes we have to start small. And yet even with small acts, we know that we still need Jesus' help. So we're looking at the Gospels and trying to glean all that we can from Jesus. After all, he is the greatest example we have of how to further his kingdom in our world today. So there'll be three big lessons about Jesus in our passage this morning. 
And as we look at today's encounter with Jesus, I want to challenge all of us to take one small step of faith this week. I believe that God has called us to a grand mission, but I also believe in the power of small. If we could take one small step in how we share the gospel of Jesus Christ, both in word and in action, to those around us in our community, we'll see God at work. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 and 33, although two other gospels writers talk about this story. Matthew has the fullest account of what happened, but if you want to do further study, Mark chapter 6 and John chapter 6 are the other accounts, and there's some distinctions between the three that are pretty interesting. And they each emphasize different aspects of what happens here in this passage. Now, real quick, before we jump into our passage this morning, I think it's helpful to get an understanding of what's going on. At the beginning of Matthew 14, Jesus has just heard news that his dear friend and cousin, John the Baptist, has been publicly humiliated and murdered by the king of that region. And so he seeks a place to be alone. But as he's trying to, to get alone, crowds surround him because they heard he was nearby and they had seen him perform wondrous miracles, healing blind people, lepers, and even the paralyzed. As he taught the crowds, it grew late, and so he performed yet another miracle by turning five loaves and two fish into enough food to feed 5,000 men plus their wives and their children. And that's where we pick up here in Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. Well, it's not in this account. We see in John's account of this situation that Jesus sends away the crowds because they needed to be sent away. Not only were they eager to keep seeing this miracle worker, but John says they were ready to make him king. But that wasn't what Jesus' plan was for his mission on earth. Continue in verse 23. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Jesus wants to be alone with the Father. This isn't the main point of our passage, but it is such a powerful reminder of our need for communion with God on a regular basis, especially as we serve and ministering to those around us. We also have reason to believe that Jesus was praying for his disciples. We see him pray several times in the Gospels for his disciples. Jesus cared deeply for them, and he sought to intercede for them before the Father. And he does the same for us. Jesus intercedes for us. In fact, Hebrews 7.25 says this, Therefore he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. If we've put our trust in Christ, he makes intercessions on our behalf to the Father. When we are lost or hurting or confused, Christ is interceding for us. When we're crying out to God in desperation, Christ is there. And we were falling short of God's glory and struggling with sin in this life. Christ stands in our place before the Father, perfect, spotless, blameless. This fact alone, to have the God of the universe interceding for us to our Heavenly Father, that should fill us up with such great confidence in stepping out in faith and sharing the good news of Christ to those around us. But that's only the first part of the passage. You see, while Jesus is praying, you almost have this comical scene of Jesus peacefully on a mountainside alone with his father. While the disciples are panicking for their lives, exhausted, defeated, and terrified. 
They had been in a boat for several hours already, but still were a few miles away from the nearest shore with the wind against them. Check out verse 24. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land for a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified in their fear. They cried out, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I am here. So to add to the absurdity of this clear distinction between Jesus being alone on the mountaintop and his reaction to things that are going on and, and the disciples' situation, Jesus decides to do something unheard of. But I love the casual way Matthew writes this. It's so matter of fact. Jesus walked over to them on the water. Just a, a leisurely evening stroll at 3 a.m. Some of you may remember way back in 2006 when Chris Angel, a famed street magician, claimed to walk on water. It looked something like this. Well, Jesus was way less dramatic about it. And to let you in on a little secret, Jesus actually did it. He actually walked on water. So Jesus walks by and the disciples are already freaking out and tired beyond belief. The last thing they're looking for is a guy taking a nice gander on the water. So this just adds to their anxieties and they're sure this is the end for them. But Jesus calls out and reveals his identity. And then here's where things get really interesting in verse 28. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over to the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. When we take a small step, Jesus will so often carry us farther than we could ever imagine. Peter often gets a, a bad rap for being reckless, quick to speak, and desperate for action. And while these characteristics might have been true of him, I think his words here reveal an incredible trust in Jesus. The word if that he uses here could perhaps be better translated to since. Since it is you, Lord, command me to come out to you on the water. This is mind-blowing. Peter acknowledges such a deep and profound truth that I think we too often miss. If Jesus was able to walk on water, so can I. But only if Jesus himself grants it. This isn't a self-help book. Peter knows that by his strength alone, if he takes one step out of that boat, he's going to be a lead weight that sinks to the bottom of the ocean. Yet at the same time, this is a huge amount of faith. You see, Peter understood our second point this morning, that Jesus equips us. When we take small steps of faith, Jesus gives us the strength we need to courageously enter into difficult conversations. He gives us the right words to say to someone, to bring them comfort and encouragement. He gives us the strength to stand out amongst our coworkers and neighbors as people who are not of this world, who are part of another kingdom, one that has come to the earth to be established for eternity under the sovereignty of our great and holy creator. And Peter gets it. And the literal translation here is actually that he walked on the waters, plural, which is probably a way of Matthew trying to remind us that these were big waves still around him. Lest we forget, guys, the storm is raging on. And yet Peter walked out of the boat. I don't want us to miss just how significant this is. Peter asked God to walk on water. 
This is something never done before. Even some of the giants of the faith in the Old Testament, you have Moses and and Elijah and Joshua, they all performed unbelievably powerful miracles involving water, and yet none of them walked on the water. Do we do that? Do we step out in faith when things are difficult? I mean, I'll be honest, I don't even know how often I step out in faith when things are going great let alone when the bills are start stacking up or the fears of uncertainty amidst a pandemic creep in or my world feels like it's crumbling around me. Sometimes I hear these stories of people who bring so many others to Jesus just by starting conversations with them. I think of Bob Goff, who if you've ever read him, ever heard him speak or read his books, you know he lives a crazy life where God seems to always show up. And it's inspirational, but when it comes to taking a small step in faith and sharing the gospel with someone or speaking, uh, uh, sparking a conversation about religion or standing up for my beliefs, I feel myself testing God a bit like, are you really going to use me or just embarrass me? You see, too often I'm no Peter. I'm the same boat as the disciples, pun intended. I look at people like Peter or Bob Goff and go, you're crazy, Hey, I'm glad God uses you because there's no way I could do that. I allow fears of failure or fears of rejection or just the fear that God isn't going to show up to stop me from doing what God has called me to do. Sometimes I'm just tired. I don't really want to talk to the lady checking my items out at the store. But here's Peter at three in the morning putting me to shame. And guess what? My fears and excuses might be valid. Your fears and excuses might be valid. We might mess up or things might not go as we planned in our efforts to reach out to those around us. But the story isn't over. Look at this here. This could be perhaps one of the most beautiful moments in the Gospels. So even if you've heard this before, I want you to really feel the weight of what's going on here in verse 30. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, Peter was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshiped him. You really are the son of God, they exclaimed. Peter gets distracted. His human nature, the the depravity of sin that so entangles every one of us choked him in this moment. And he began to sink. The man who moments before fearlessly and faithfully called out to Jesus to grant him the power to do what no other man had done before now calls out again for Jesus to save him from drowning. Just like that, hero to zero. I think we've all had those moments where we felt like we were on top of the world only to embarrass ourselves so badly in like three and a half seconds. When I was reading this account, for a moment I thought to myself, man, Didn't Peter know how to swim? And if he did, he sure didn't do a good job with it. And then I realized that that's the beautiful part about it. He didn't need to swim. He didn't need to have an independent, do-it-yourself, pick-yourself-up-by-the-bootstraps attitude. Guys, Jesus was right in front of him. Because that's what Jesus does when we stumble and fall and fail in our faith. He stands in front of us, ready to pick us back up. Jesus picks us back up. What's crazy is that Jesus actually chastises Peter for having little faith. Again, I don't think we give Peter enough credit. He had little faith, but he still had faith. He, not any of the other disciples, he 
actually walked on water. He was willing to risk his life to experience the power of Jesus. Think about it. Not a single other disciple walked on water. Even after Peter took a step on the water, no one else raised their hands to step out. But Peter's little faith took him out of the boat and onto the water. That's the power of small. We may not get as far as we planned or might not have life-changing conversations about the gospel every time we interact with someone, but I would rather have little faith than no faith at all. After all, doesn't Jesus elsewhere say that if we had the faith of a mustard seed, one of the tiniest domestic farming seeds at the time, we would be able to move mountains? There will always be ways to improve and room to grow, but please don't let the fear of failure stop you from taking steps of faith. Have we so deceived ourselves into actually thinking that God expects us to achieve perfection in how we act in faith? I think we too often lose sight of the gospel. The whole point of the gospel is that you are not the hero. You are the zero. You are wicked and helpless and hopeless without Jesus. Jesus alone is the hero. Without Jesus, Peter would have sunk the minute he stepped out of the boat. But the gospel is that Jesus came and died for you and me to pay for our sins. And now he lives again to give us life. The gospel is that we still will fail. We still will stumble and sink and fall short every single day. But Jesus will be there to pick us up again and again and again and again. We don't need to learn how to swim. We don't need to learn how to pick ourselves up by our bootstraps. We'll never be able to do that. That's not our job. Our job is to just take one small step. So what does that small step look like for you? Is it reaching out to your neighbor who you've largely ignored for the past several months or years and have a social distance meeting with them? Is it reaching out to an underprivileged community with letters of encouragement? Is it refusing to act like your coworkers in a manner that is contrary to the gospel? This is just asking your electrician about what they believe. We talk big about racial injustices and the systems of inequality, and it's all so easy to point out all the issues in our nation, but what about reaching out to a person of different race or ethnicity or nationality other than your own? What if God was just calling you to go out of your way to build a relationship with someone in the neighborhood across the street that maybe has a, a higher or lower income status than you? There are so many other ways that God could be calling you to reach out. My goal isn't to overwhelm you. In fact, the whole point of this series is exactly the opposite. Just smart, start small. Find something. Take one small step. Something is better than nothing. The few steps that Peter took out of the boat for far outshine the zero steps taken by the other disciples shivering in the boat. Peter obviously believed that if Jesus could walk on water, then Peter could too if Jesus only willed it. Shouldn't we believe that we too could see past the sins of those around us? That we too could reach out to the broken people in our communities and show them Jesus' love? That we too could see lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus because of our witness? Recently, I heard an account of someone in our church who had a friend in college who did not know Jesus. This friend believed in some sort of higher power, but claimed to be too busy to look into deeper than that. This person decided to let it go, but after graduating college, it couldn't shake off that conversation that they had with that unbelieving friend. They felt God pressing on their heart to take a small step of faith. So they did. 
They wrote a letter to this friend laying out the gospel of Jesus and encouraging their friend to accept the truth of God's word. The friend replied back, but never once addressed the contents of the letter. A couple years went by before this person ever heard back from their friend again. And, and sure enough, that friend was calling to let them know that they had accepted Christ. And it all started when they read a random letter addressed to them, outlining the truth of the gospel years before. We simply don't know the power of one small step. Because even for Peter, when he made that step, even though none of the other disciples made that step, it says that, that afterwards they praised God and worshiped him. Maybe God wants his name to be glorified by people around you because of one small step of faith that you take. How amazing would that be? What is that one small step? For some of you, that small step of faith is simply trusting in Jesus as your only hope. And if that sounds drastic, it's because it is. You see, God's word tells us that in the beginning of all time, God created the heavens and the earth and he created all and it was good. It was perfect. And God created mankind. He created man and woman. And he said that there was an amazing relationship, a perfect union between God and humans. And God walked with them. But at some point, mankind decided that, that, that they wanted to be above God, that they wanted to be on the same level of God. They wanted to be God. And so pride set in and they sinned against God. They disobeyed and they said, we want to do things our way. And what that did was it, it created this separation between humans and God, between sinful, prideful people who wanted to do things on their own, the created and the creator who's perfect and holy and good and could not be in the presence of sin. And ever since then, every single human being in the history of the world, except for one person, has struggled with sin and, and as a result is separated from our creator, who we were meant to be with, who we were created to be in relationship with. And as much as we deserve that, God hated it. I mean, he absolutely hated the fact that he was separated from his creation that he loved so dearly. And so he, he took really drastic measures. He sent his own son, Jesus, to the world to live a human life. And while Jesus was on the earth, he did what no other man could do. He did what man was created to do, to live a perfect life. And the people wanted to make him king, but that wasn't his mission on earth. His mission was the opposite. His mission was to come and die as a criminal. And so he died innocent as a criminal on a cross, a painful, awful death for the sake of our sin. The story doesn't end there. It says that three days later, God raised him from the dead. Jesus had power over death. The first human in all of history to live a perfect life and deserve eternal relationship with God. And Jesus said, you know what? I want to offer this to everyone. So he says, all you have to do is put your trust in me as your God. Because while I wasn't supposed to be king while I was on earth, I'm king now. And I'm king of all people. If you put your trust 
in me. You'll have eternity with me and my Father in heaven forever and ever. All you have to do is put your trust in him. The alternative is, is eternal separation from God, which is what we deserve. But isn't it amazing that we have a God who loves us so much that he offered us that free gift of eternal life? Maybe there's someone watching this morning, whether online or in our church building, that you have never fully put your trust in Jesus as your way to eternal life. Could I encourage you to make that decision this morning? This is the most important decision you can make. Eternity is weighing in the balance. If you're willing to do that, if you're willing to say, you know, I want to put my trust in Jesus this morning, would you just pray this with me? And what I mean by prayer is just, just thinking this in your, in your mind and in your heart. God knows your thoughts. God knows your heart. And just say this with me. God, thank you for sending Jesus on the cross to die for my sins. I know I'm messed up. I know I deserve eternity separated from you because you are a good God and I am a sinner. But God, I want eternity with you. And so I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die for me and that Jesus was raised three days later and offers me that eternal life and I want that. And I want to accept you as my Lord, as my King for my life. God, I pray if there's anyone this morning that made that decision to follow you, to put their trust in you, maybe for the first time or, or maybe for the second or third or fourth or fifth time, maybe it's someone who hasn't been following you for a long time, but is saying, you know what, this morning, I need to recommit my life to you, Jesus. God, if there's anyone who are putting their trust in you this morning, would you give them that sense of peace that surpasses all understanding? Would you wash their sin away, God? And would you help them as they now not end their, their life here on earth or anything like that, but start a new journey with you and help them as they move forward following you, even though there's still sin in this world, even though we're still dealing with a global pandemic right now, God, that they have the king of the universe on their side. Father, I pray for all of us here this morning that you would give us that sense of peace and that sense of empowerment that you equip us, God, to go out and be your light to those around us. God, would we take one small step of faith this week where we see you do amazing things. Let us walk on water. We love you, Lord. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. If you made that decision this morning to put your trust in Jesus, can I just say, I want to rejoice with you. I wish I could be in the room with you and just give you a big hug and celebrate with you because that is an amazing, amazing decision you made. I mean, eternity was just changed for you. That is incredible. And, and I just want to encourage you, this is not the end. This is the beginning of a new life with Jesus, following Jesus, learning to walk with him. And you're part of a new family here in Jesus.
for all of us who have put our trust in Jesus. We're just one big family. We're so happy. We want to rejoice with you. Would you do this? Would you do me a favor? Would you email pastor at efree.org? Because we want to know that you put that decision uh, to follow Christ. We want to know that, uh, that you've made it and, and we want to celebrate with you and just encourage you and equip you as you continue to walk with Jesus for years to come. We're going to enter into a time of worship now. We're going to sing a song. It's called Available. And I love a line in this song. It says, I hear you call. I am available Church, this morning, can we make that our anthem this week? God, I hear you call. I'm available. I'm going to take one step of faith this week.